You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Again, we're going to be in Genesis 1, uh, 3 through 25. Once you arrive there, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Genesis 1, verses 3 through 25 says this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, which according to, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there is evening, and there is morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I want to say a happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. And I hope that you guys have a good time today and you don't eat way too much, but that you enjoy your time with your families. I want to thank Ty for reading a lot of text. So you guys uh, grab him and tell him congrats. It's always tough to roll through that. Um, like Ty said, um, we're continuing our new series entitled Blueprints, and we've been walking through the first three chapters of Genesis together. And uh, I just want to say thanks for making us a part of your week, especially if it's your first time. Uh, we're so glad that you joined us. Uh, and my, my name is Court, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. So if it is your first time, I just want to introduce myself to you. Uh, this week, or first, last week we talked about that, that the essential hub of the universe, or the center of the universe that Genesis 
starts there by telling us about God, that the Bible ultimately is a book about God, the book of Genesis is a book about God, and that ultimately all of our reality is shaped by the person of God himself. And last week we, we discussed a little bit about how you, you can, not all, not completely, but you can gather the majority of the Christian worldview from just the first three chapters of the book of the Bible. And so we wanted to kind of walk through that uh, a little bit slower. Now, I want to say, when I say a little bit slower, today is the one exception of that, and that is that I'm covering a, a large swath of text. But just so you know, I'm not lying, the next three weeks we will cover three verses, okay? So we'll do 26 next Sunday, and then the next Sunday we'll do 27, and the next Sunday we'll do 28, okay? So I promise it will slow down, but this week is a little bit different. Um, this morning we're going to unpack a more detailed account of God's creative process in the book of Genesis, that God created the heavens and the earth, but by, the Bible gives us a little bit more information, whew, a little bit more information as to how God did that, uh, and in his, in his sequential order, and in particular days that God creates the days. Now, I want to say this before we jump in. There are some things I'm not going to cover, and so I, I told uh, our members at this at our members meeting, but I wanted to mention it on a Sunday morning. Um, We've kind of already baked in the cake that there's going to be some things that we don't cover in the first three chapters of Genesis because the first three chapters of Genesis are so uh, vast and there's some, there is some mystery shrouded in the book. We wanted to make sure that we did give another supplemental way that we could discuss it. So, for instance, uh, I'm not going to be able to talk about like old earth or new earth theories. Some of this is going to go right over your head. You don't even care. And that's fine. But for some of you that are a little more nerdy, you're like, I want to know. You know, is the earth like 7,000 years old? It's like 7 billion trillion quadrillion years old? How old is the earth? I'm not going to be able to talk about that. Is it six or seven literal or, or there literal days or is it figurative days? I'm not going to be able to talk about that this morning. Theistic evolution, Darwinian theory. What about the dinosaurs? I can't cover it all. But I did want to tell you, we're going to talk about some of that on the Provcast. So we're putting together a podcast to kind of talk through some of that stuff. I wanted to plug that to say, if you haven't listened to that, you know, we're going to try to put some of that stuff out. Having said that, I want to bring us back. Last week, I said every week I want to ask two major questions of the text. And here's those two questions. What is this passage telling us about God? And then what does that mean for us? What is the passage telling us about God? And then what does that mean for us? So before I hop in and we begin to walk through, let me pray for us and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. God, you are majestic, holy and righteous and true is your name over all the earth. There is no one like you. God, you sit on a throne in the heavens and you do whatever pleases you and you look to the right and to the left and there's no one there. It's just you because you alone could do what this book recorded. You alone can speak and take things that are not and create them. Only you can, out of nothing, make something, God. You alone are God. And we thank you for your word that's been preserved for us, that we might run here and nowhere else to find truth. And so would you help us today open our ears, open our hearts, shape us, mold us, and help us to answer those two questions to God. What does your word teach us about who you are? And in light of that, what does it mean for us? How should we respond to the truth about who you are? Holy Spirit, would you, as you have promised, be a good teacher this morning and teach us your truth? We trust you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so if you're taking notes, uh, 23 verses or so, or 22 verses, what's the big main idea? Well, here it is. God created an ordered universe that he called very good, and he did so for his own glory and purposes. That's the big headline. So although we're not going to be able to get down into a lot of the details, what the Bible records here is that God, out of nothing, created all that is. Now, I'm going to get into this in a little more detail, but that means all that we can see and all that is unseen, which is just baffling to think about, right? Like we have matter and space and time and all the things that we're able to observe with the scientific method. And then there's apparently, according to the scriptures, an entire unseen realm that God created with legions of angels, massive amounts of unseen characters that God created by the word of his mouth. And that he did so, and he called it good. In verse 31, later on, he's going to call it very good after he creates man, male and female, after he creates human beings. But we stopped just short of that because we're going to start covering it next week. But also, he does so. Why? why? Why in the world would God be interested in this? Well, he does it for his own glory and for his own purposes, that God has a purpose for the creation. He has a purpose for you and, and for me, and that's essential. So last week, the Bible started with this. It says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and there was just God. And then God created the heavens and the earth, right? Now, if you go into the Hebrew in this, and I think it's really important, or I wouldn't even go into the Hebrew, the actual word for without form and void, most commentators say that that's the word for chaos. And that seems odd, right? Because we would technically think when things are chaotic, you think it's whenever your, your schedule is too full, Right? Like, your life is chaotic, moms, whenever you have to, you know, juggle everything at the house and the kids, and then maybe your job, and then maybe, and you got, oh, I can't do it all. That would be a chaotic day. But here, the Bible records that it was the formless, substanceless nothingness that was chaotic, and that God brought order to that by bringing things into being. That it's the, it's the non-being that is the chaos, and that God brings order by creating and speaking into that void and then things come to be. So one way that we can think of God, and this is point number one, God creating an ordered universe tells us a little bit about who God is, that he's not a God of confusion, but he's the God of order. He's not a God of chaos, but he's a God of structure. God is a God who has a purpose and a plan he, that we are not just happenstance on the earth. Now that should, hopefully you should breathe a sigh of relief. In our culture, many people struggle with mass amounts of depression because they are struggling with the idea of why they were created. Why am I on the other? Why am I on the earth? Do I have purpose? And the Bible starts by telling us that there's a purpose for us to be created. And just to exist, we have purpose because our God is a God of order and purpose. Now let's look at the text and let's observe some other things. Couple things. God makes distinctions. He says things like, This is the earth, and that's the water, and I want to separate them. There's the heavens, and there's the earth, and I want to separate them. There's light, and there's dark. There's day, and there's night. There's the greater light, there's the lesser light. He sets up boundaries. He says, I want to separate the light from the darkness, separate the waters from dry land. There's vegetation, and it produces seed, but vegetation produces seed after its own kind. So this is a cucumber, and this is a squash, and this is an oak tree, and they will produce oak trees in a subset, and this will produce cucumbers in a subset, and he can go on and on with the different vegetables. And these are rabbits, and rabbits are going to produce more rabbits, and they're just going to figure that out on their own. And they have them and rats. They figured it out, right? And God does all of these things. He begins to set the boundaries, make the distinctions, and God has a creative process that's very ordered. There are um, six steps, 
in each day of creation that God follows, and he follows it very succinctly. Only a couple times do you find any uh, change in the order of these six things, but nonetheless, he always has these six elements to each day. Number one, God annou- it announces, and God said. The Bible says, and God said. There's an announcement. Then there's a command, let there be light. So God says, let there be light. Then there's a report, and there was light. I love that. It's very clear. The Bible is very clear. God says something, and then it is so. There is no debating. There's not a counsel. If you're married or you have kids, you would love that, wouldn't you? You just say it. It's like fiat. It happens. That never happens at my house. My son always goes, why? And I'm like, I'm not going to rationalize with you. Just now, you know? So I want immediate, and he does not. But God says, and then the report comes back, and it is. That's what God does. And then God names, which this is, an, this is giving authority, right? God, God has authority over all of creation. And he called the light day and the darkness night. So he has this naming process that God goes through. Later on, we're going to see that God actually delegates the naming process of the animals to Adam. But I don't want to jump too far ahead. And then he's going to give him authority over it, right? So there's a naming that happens. Then God, it, the, the Bible evaluates, and God saw that the light was good. Only God can say whether it's good or bad, right? Only God can evaluate whether a creative work or a work of art is beautiful or not. And he looks out at creation and he says, and it's good. That's good news for us. We're going to get there in a minute. But God sees it and it's good. And then lastly, God always frames it for us. Although God lives outside of time, this is the beginning of God framing things according to time. I would challenge you, you would have a really hard time to explain your day if you didn't have time. We almost explain everything in terms of time. We did something, and when did we do it? We did it yesterday, or we did it last month, or we did it last year, or we did it in 1984, right? Whatever it may be, we always frame it according to a specific time. And God gives us this gift so that we can have make sense of the world that we're in. And the Bible records that God then frames it. Evening in the morning, it was the first day. And then it'll start over again. This is how God does this over and over and over again. He does so ordered, and he does so structured. Also, the commentators point out that there's a Two sets of triads, they call it, in the first six days of creation. That the first three days, God does the forming, and the second three days, God does the filling. So he forms the heavens, right? They're the light and the dark. He forms the land and the sea, and he forms a fertile earth in the, in the days of one, two, and three. And in the second triad, he fills it, takes the heavens, and he fills it with the greater and the lesser lights, to the sun and the moon and the stars, and then he takes the, the waters and he takes the air and he fills them. He says he puts swarming creatures in the ocean and he puts the birds in the skies. And then the fertile earth, he fills it with land animals on the sixth day, right? So God fills the earth and he sets this up in two different sets of triads in the book of Genesis. And this is a way to communicate to us that our God is ordered and he has a plan. And, and listen to me, if you don't get anything else, there's a design behind it that it's not just chaotic. It didn't come from just a chaotic moment, but it came from a God who had a purpose and designed it. You see, God doesn't look at something that has order and bring chaos to it. He looks at something chaotic and formless, and he brings order and form to it. So I was preparing for this sermon, and I was listening to a guy named Wayne Grudem. He wrote a book called Systematic Theology, and he has uh, Sunday school classes on this, and they're really helpful, and he kind of walks through this, and uh, and it, it made me go on down a little loophole of like researching just more about the creation and doing a little bit of my own, you know, just internet search about uh, the interesting and intriguing 
facts about our ordered universe and our God who created them. So I wanted to kind of walk you through just, just how majestic it is to say that our God created the heavens and the earth. So to give you an idea, we live in a solar system, which has like eight or nine planets, depending upon if you like Pluto or not, right? And a solar system is a star, a medium-sized star, and the, the planets rotate around that, right? That's our solar system. And our solar system is in a galaxy called the Milky Way. So that's, you know, a much more massive subset of solar systems, right? And there's galaxies are basically just a collection of stars like the sun, and some of them have planets that revolve around them, and some of them do not. But to give you an idea of just how massive a galaxy is, there are 200 billion stars in our galaxy. So we have our solar system, we have our sun, and our sun's pretty significant, but then you move outside of that, and the Milky Way galaxy has 200 billion other stars like the sun, some of them bigger, some of them smaller, and that's just the Milky Way galaxy. Now, to give you an idea of just how big our universe is, to the scientist's best guess, there are trillions of galaxies. Trillions with a T. Now, I thought about that, and I was like, okay, we, just, we throw these numbers all of the time. Like now we have multiple billionaires in the world with money, and so we just think, oh, well, okay, whatever, billion, trillion. Just to give you an idea, one billion seconds ago was 32 years ago. So if you were to count from one to a billion, saying each number once per second, it would take you 32 years to count to a billion. Now, if you counted to a trillion, saying one number per second with no sleeping or eating, it would take you 32,000 years. Let that sink in for a second. And we have trillions, the scientists say, of galaxies, which is the Milky Way with 200 billion stars, and we have one star called the sun, and we rotate around that with one of the nine planets, the only one that's inhabitable. <laughs> so let's bring that down back into our solar system. You have the sun. The sun is so massive in our solar system. I want you to wrap your mind around this. You have our solar system, and think about all the plants, right? You get Jupiter, which is very large. You get the Earth, which is massive, right? You got the sun takes up 99.86% of the mass of our entire solar system. Think about that. Almost the whole solar system is just the sun. That's how massive it is. It's huge. It has enough hydrogen in it, they say, listen to this, to burn for roughly 5 billion more years. So we're safe. We're okay for at least another 5 billion years. There's enough hydrogen in the sun to heat and warm and do all of the things that the sun does for us. Now, if you want to get real like scared, just read what happens whenever it burns out. It's terrible, all right? Think worst case scenarios, all right? Like deep impact, Morgan Freeman times a million, all right? It's bad. And the sun does things that we don't even think about. It warms our seas, stirs our atmosphere, generates our weather patterns. It gives energy to the growing green plants, providing food and oxygen on the earth, the gravitational pull. All of those things are affected by our sun. Then you get, so that's the greater light that God creates. Then you get the moon. And the moon causes the tides, it creates a rhythm that's guided humans for thousands of years, and it's not even really its own light source. The moon just reflects the light of the sun, but the very tides that we have in our oceans are tied to the moon. If the moon doesn't exist, then everything goes awry on the earth. It's very significant. And then you have the earth, which is the only inhabitable known planet to humankind. There's, we've never found another planet that humans could live on. Like we've thought about Mars, and we're like, turns out, it's a terrible idea. We could never do it. Can't find water. We'd all freeze to death. It's a rough existence. I don't know. We've all watched The Martian, but it turns out you can't grow potatoes there yet, even if you're Matt Damon, all right? <laughs> Not going to happen. So you have the earth, and it's got this unique thing called our atmosphere, which allows us to breathe and breathe freely and 
Sunlight that's like a perfect distance from the sun. So like if you lived on Venus, you would just melt, I mean like immediately. If you lived on Mars, you would immediately just freeze to death. But the earth is just like, remember the three little bears story? That bed is just right. That's the earth for us, right? And then on the earth, you have all of these amazing creative things, right? So you have like, uh, like forests. Like I read about the Amazon rainforest. The Amazon rainforest is so massive, it creates 20% of the world's oxygen. That's massive, isn't it? Trees. Just trees take in, uh, what is it, carbon dioxide, and they breathe out oxygen, which you and I breathe. We need it. It's kind of important. And the Amazon rainforest is responsible for a fifth of it. Kind of massive. Then you have the ocean, which the ocean just freaks me out when I read about it. Check this out. So the ocean covers 70% of the Earth's surface. Guess how much of it we've explored? Under 5%. That's scary. There's all sorts of stuff in there we don't even know about. Massive. There's like 1.2 million known species of animals on the earth. And then I read that they're, they're thinking that there's probably about 7 million. So we haven't even discovered like 5.8 million species. That's scary too. All right. Because animals are cute and scary. Like I always think about it. I'm like, we let cats live with us. And then you go to like Africa and cats kill you. You know, it's like a little terrifying. Then you start coming down and there's things that human beings have created. Now, I want you guys to just walk with me on this. It's incredible. Uh, this, I was in the office and I grabbed a battery. I thought, look at this. God created the world. He knew there was, there was going to be materials and resources in the earth to put in this little battery and it, it's going to power like clocks and like the watch that I have on and my son's remote control cars and all in the battery. It's incredible, right? I, I could start picking things out like my phone, craziest thing in the world. You think about that. Wi-Fi, they're human beings' creations. I get in the car, I turn it on, I go to the gas station, and I'm putting fuel in that God knew would power this vehicle to drive me like 70 miles an hour down the road, hopefully not 70 on the way home because that's illegal. And, and I get to be there quick, and then I click on this switch, and cold air blows because there's a compressor in there that's like cooling the air for me as I sit in this box, metal box, driving on the road. It's incredible. Then I started thinking about planes. My son loves planes. He always talks about it. He thinks he's going to be a he wants, to ride, he wants to fly a spaceship. He saw the moon. He's like, let's go up there real high. He wants to fly a spaceship. Then I started thinking about spaceships. That's incredible. Jet fuel, rocket fuel, astronauts. These are all human beings using their, the wisdom that God created them to have in order to take that which God created out of nothing and manipulate it to make something amazing. Then you go down to like the periodic table of elements. Like there were four new elements added in 2016, by the way. Didn't even know that. But there's this, this table that shows all of the different resources that are in the earth that make up all of what we see. It's incredible stuff. Like plastic, I grab my pen, you know, petroleum makes this. Just how cool is that? That God created this knowing that full well we have all of those things. Then I, as I started to read more about this, so in one cubic centimeter of air, which I don't even know how to like give you a, it's very small. You can't see it if I tried to show you. How many atoms do you think are in a cubic centimeter of air? Just ballparking. Million? Five million? 10 million trillion in a cubic centimeter of air. That's incredible, isn't it? That's how many atoms are there. And, and check this out. You want to know what's even crazier than that? There are full galaxies. They have found, these scientists have found out that in between galaxies, there's so much void that they have one atom in between a whole galaxy. What? It's incredible. How? Why? So if I took a pin and I pricked my arm, if I didn't, I just put a, a little pin mark on my arm, just in that pin prick, there would be 10,000 cells, human cells. 
in that pinprick. And human cells are incredible things to think about because like skin cells or blood cells, there's, there's an entire uh, like control center in the cell saying, be, a, be skin and it's skin. Be blood and it's blood. Be a brain cell and help court think. Sometimes that fails. And it does. Hair cells, which are, you know, falling off all the time. It's really rough getting older. Blood, skin, all of these things, all of them are constantly reproducing cells, keeping us alive. And check this out. All of these cells are encoded with our unique DNA, and not one single cell is the same in each of our bodies because of the DNA strand. All of us are unique. Every human that's ever lived has a different DNA code. It's incredible. What's the point? The point is our God is a creative and intelligent designer. That's the idea of this text. He ordered the world in a certain way, and it is not accidental. That should bring us great peace because that means that you and I are not accidental or incidental, but that God has designed us. Now, I want you to remember also Genesis and the Bible is a book about God. So the story here is communicating something to us about God. We're learning that our God will reveal himself to us in an ordered way. If creation is meant to display and reflect the glory of God, and it is, then we can infer a few things about God. Number one, he's wildly creative. He is powerful and majestic. God is worthy of worship, is he not? He's worthy of worship. A God that can do that, all those things that I just said, and that he did so, guess how he did it? He didn't like go into, you know, you picture scientists, you picture them like just racking their brains, pulling their hair out. Think of Einstein, never did his hair, you know, just always stressed. God never broke a sweat with this, just he spoke and it was, spoke and it was, spoke and it was, and all these things are just kind of woven, baked into the cake of God's wisdom. God's worthy of worship. Also, it teaches us about him acting in an ordered way. If, if we think that God is unpredictable, that can be summed up in the fact that you and I don't know God all that well. If he seems unpredictable, it's usually because we have developed a a kind of bubble around the way in which we interact with humanity. And God has always stayed the same. So he interacts with human beings, and sometimes it could be seen as unpredictable, and yet it's just God. Also, it tells us that God's knowable. He desires to be known. See, God could have just remained a mystery to all of us, and yet he, he tells us this, this ordered way of creating everything so that we could start to get to know him, which is so essential because that's perhaps the reason that we were made in the first place. And lastly, the creation is teeming with purpose. We should be intrigued about the creation to know God more. So when we go around, I read an article the other day, they now have this therapy called, uh, I don't even know what it's called, it's basically just a walk in the forest, but it's therapy for people who are really struggling with dark depression and dopamine receptors that are not firing off correctly, and they just have them walk through the woods, and it works. It works, people are experiencing like great relief in their lives just by going outside and looking around and thinking, how amazing is this? And here's why. The Bible tells us that the creation reveals the glory of God. You look around, you look at the stars, you know that there's only like, I think, 7,000 stars that are visible to us. Do you know how many stars there are? It's absolutely nutty. It's in the trillions of stars. We can only see 7,000 of them. Have you ever looked up and been just been like, wow. You know how the Bible records that God did that? It's funny to me. The Bible records it and the stars. Three words. <laughs> what? He created the greater light and the lesser light and the stars. And the stars, it's massive. What does it communicate? That our God loves us. And lastly, I think it communicates that when we are frazzled, when we're anxious, when we're full of uncertainty, when we are confused, we can find peace and solace in the fact that God has ordered, structured, and established an amazing universe, and he's unchanging. We can find an anchor in him. 
So when we're all over the place, I think we can take a deep breath to know he's not. Never been worried, never been concerned, never thought, oh, no, what if this doesn't go according to my plan? Because it will. That's a great, that's just a great thing. Okay. Number two, God created a good universe. Why is that important? Why is it essential that God created a good universe? Well, the world that God created is not evil. And I think that's important at a theoretical level because it eliminates this idea of like dualism or like a yin and a yang, right? Like that there's just the material world, which is real bad, and then there's the spiritual world, which is real good, and that we just need to pull ourselves away from the material world and just focus on the spiritual world. And the Bible just does not give us that idea. Um, And it's easy to fall into because if you go to the New Testament, you'll hear these talks about the flesh, right? And that we should be battling against the flesh. But I, I think it's important that you start with Genesis because the Bible does not say that everything that's material should just be rejected. In fact, Paul makes this... Uh, overwhelmingly clear when he says he believed it was the teaching of demons that made people think that they couldn't eat a certain food or that they had to abstain from marriage. He says, no, this is, this is all a blessing. It's all a gift to be received. If it's, just, uh, if it's received with thanksgiving to God, that God makes it holy. We do not have to be afraid to eat. That's good news, hopefully for you. You can go and eat this afternoon and hopefully don't glut, but when you eat, it's all good. It's going to be received from God. Now we'll encourage you to probably eat healthier things, you know, you live longer which is kind of questionable too, like E. coli and spinach, it's weird. But you never know. But we can receive it and we could be grateful for it. Um, it should not lead us to believe that when we look at the material world that we should reject it, but that instead it should be received as a good gift from God. So there's three ways that we, should, we could view the creation. The, the first one is that creation is God. So that's like, I mentioned it last week, like Avatar, right? Where you got the tail, you plug it into like a blue animal and then you're one with the universe. That's pantheism. The Bible doesn't say that that's true. Uh, that leads to idolatry, right? This is where you get things like you go to certain places in India and worship cattle, um, and then people are starving to death. You know, they want to eat the cows, so we'll just worship them, and then they're dying of starvation, but they worship the very cattle that you know would really help out on the dinner table. But that leads to death, right? Not human flourishing. Or secondarily, you could see that creation is evil, and that's like dualism or asceticism or mysticism. This is where you get people that, you know, any time that they've had any pleasure. This happened to the Catholic Church at some point, like in the early first century, I believe. Nope. I can't remember. But uh, there's, there's this time in the Catholic Church where uh, they, they got so intense upon uh, any material good or any joy that they would have, they would beat themselves, flog themselves. So like if a, if a brother was uh, enjoying a good meal or he saw a flower, he would go and uh, he'd beat himself in prayer and say, this is bad. I don't need to be feeling this pleasure because I can only get derive pleasure from God. And, and the Bible doesn't record that. It actually says that we can have good pleasure from created things, and then, but it's always meant to go back to God. So like you eat a good steak, you say, glory to God. This is awesome. How nice is this? Thank you, Jesus, that you, you created this. And I get to be in my truck. And I think what the Bible's saying is that we can go outside in the morning and we should look around more and we should say, wow. God is so good. Look how great he is to us. Look at how beautiful it is. Now, I know you live in Houston. And you're like, well, it's not that pretty. But I think you need to open your eyes a little bit more. There's some absolutely amazing things about the world in which we live in. I mean, I think it's an, it's an absolute, uh, it's a wonder that we're still alive. It's craziness. Look around. Think, wow, look at the grace of God. And it should redound back to his glory, which is my last point, which is creation is a good gift from God. That's Christianity. That leads to life. When you see creation as a gift that's meant to be enjoyed to worship God, that leads to human flourishing. If you go the other way, the creation is meant to be worshipped or the creation is meant to be rejected, it always leads to death. Because creation is not the creator. That's Romans chapter 1, and it leads to death. Creation being good communicates to us that we have a good God. Friends, listen to me. That's important. 
We have a good God. And he's not capricious, and he's not mad, and he's not angry, and he's not living his entire existence looking to throw down thunderbolts on you and I like Zeus in the mythologies, right? But instead, we have a good God who created a world that was good, and even though there is sin and there will be judgment, that he sent his own son, that we might not be judged, but be welcomed into his family. We have a God of goodness. And the creation being good reminds us that you and I are meant to steward creation, to preserve it, to cultivate it for human flourishing. That's what you and I are meant to do. We're supposed to cultivate the earth. Now, that's another sermon, and we're going to get to it again. I'll close with this one. God created a glorious universe full of purpose. The glory of God is the purpose of the created universe. God's desire to be known and to be worshipped, that's the highest good of all things. The God of Scripture being worshipped is the highest order that human beings could ever attain. There's a book by a guy named Jonathan Edwards, and he wrote, and he's way smarter than me. He's way smarter than most humans that have ever lived. He's an intelligent theologian. And he wrote a book called um, The End to Which the World Was Created. Listen, I started reading it. I couldn't get through. I was, I was struggling. I kept having to go back. You guys ever do that? You read a paragraph, then you realize that you were brain dead. You're like zone blades. You have to go back. Really tough. That happened to me a number of times. I had to put it down. But I got two quotes out of it that were so helpful. And I'm going to read them to you, and I hope they help you as well. Here's the two quotes that he said. This is why God created everything. What's the point? The first one might be the little brain, like, what? I got the second one for you, all right? I did that for you. Here's the first one. He said, so do you see the logic in this conclusion? I perked up because I like it when people just give me the spark notes. Anybody else? I perk up with quotes like that. I'm like, ooh, this is the point. Here we go. First, God's perfect qualities are excellent in themselves. Second, God's works extend from his perfect qualities. So who God is and the things that God does extends from that. And so they are also excellent in themselves. Let's just pause for a second. God is perfect. All that he does is perfect. And those should be enjoyed just as single goods in and of themselves. They don't need any addition. All right. Third, the expression of God's perfect qualities in his works are to be seen and known by other beings who obtain knowledge of these qualities. That's you and me. That God wants to be known in this way. Finally, this knowledge is excellent in itself as well. It follows that it is an excellent thing in itself for a society of created beings to know God and his works. All right, I'm going to give you the other quote. <laughs> Here's how he, he, he sums it up. Why did God create the world? God's purpose for my life was that I would have a passion for God's glory and that I would have a passion for my joy in that glory. And then these two would be one passion. He basically, he sums up one of the Westminster Catechisms. The chief end to which man was created was that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that those two are one passion. That I would glorify God, how? Enjoying God. This delight in God is why you and I were created. God, in his essence, was this glorious, this majestic, this awesome. And he said, I want to create human beings that get to enjoy in relationship with me. And that we glorify God by enjoying him. And that the creation, everything that we look at, is an it's this extension of God's amazing qualities as he, he spits things out into, and let there be light and there is light and let there be stars and he slings them out and says, and let there be Chick-fil-A and we say amen. And we get to enjoy that to the glory of God and that when we enjoy that to his glory, that that is why we were created. It's why human beings were spoken into existence. All right. So final thoughts. How do we get to know God? Well, I wrote down a few. Romans 1 says that we fall into a trap when we know God, but we don't acknowledge him as God. So the first one is acknowledging that God is God. That's important. I want to encourage you, if you live your life skeptical, 
that acknowledging God as God can be a first step into human flourishing. That rejecting God as God leads to a lot of devolving. It leads to non-being, which is a really tough existence. Number two, worshiping God in truth. It's important that we worship the God of the Bible that truly is and not some figment of our imagination. I use the analogy often that if I told my wife, you are the most beautiful woman in the world, I love your blonde hair and your beautiful brown eyes, that sounds sweet, doesn't it, for some of you? Others of you are like, that's not sweet. Why? My, my wife has brown hair. <laughs> and my wife does not have brown eyes. She has blue eyes, bluish green. They're very pretty. But it wouldn't be helpful if I told her how much I loved her on all these qualities that are not her. And so one of the ways in which we get to know God is as we know him, we worship him for who he really is and not for who we would love him to be. Third, we enjoy, preserve, and cultivate God's creation as a good gift. So, hey, creation is meant to be enjoyed, creation is meant to be preserved, and it's meant to be cultivated. Now, this is another sermon we're getting to, but when we look at the creation, just like our God who looked into the chaos and he made things, he created, and he brought order, we also ought to look at the creation and utilize it for the, for the human beings flourishing, and we should cultivate it. That's a part of what life should be like. So, guys, when you go home and your wife's like, mow the lawn, you can say, I can do that to the glory of God. I don't have to hate it. That's a struggle for me, but it's true. Or guys, if you go into your, you know, your shop and you start making something and tinkering and your wife comes in there, what are you doing? Why aren't you mowing the lawn? You could say, I'm creating things to the glory of God. Leave me alone. Worship Jesus. And I promise that probably won't work. So bad advice. All right. Number four, embracing his rule and reign through obedient lives. So embracing the rule of God by looking at the way in which he's ordered creation and saying, that's a good thing. I want to live my life like that. So one way to look at it is there's the grain that the universe is, is rocking in, and then sin would be going against that grain and wondering why we're getting splinters. So the opposite way would be embracing the way in which God created the world. And then finally, imparting the truth about God to all generations, and we're doing so in love. That if to know God is the, is the chief end, then we want to tell our kids about God so they can know and enjoy him, right? You want your children to know God not just so they'll be, you know, little moral Pharisees, but so they can know God, Right? Like, I don't want Jonas just to be going around saying, Dad, she said a bad word. You know, he did this. I want him to say, I love Jesus. And like the other night, whenever uh, Morgan wasn't feeling well, he came out to said, let's pray. Jesus will help. I love that, that he'd know Jesus as someone who come in and help and heal us and bring life to us. Finally, we get to know God by getting to know his son. And I'll close with Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Should be kicked up behind me on the screen. This is how the writer of Hebrews says it. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. Jesus created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's incredible. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. We get to know God by getting to know Jesus because he is God in the flesh. So it's this invitation into relationship with a God that did all of these things. So I just want to encourage you, let's worship him together this morning, but also let's get to know him together this morning. Amen? If you'll stand to your feet, I'll pray for us. Father, I, I, um, I thank you that your word is clear and that you have desired and longed to articulate the truth of your word to people like me who are stubborn and have a hard time understanding. 
I thank you, God, that of all the things that you've created, that in your word, you only said that human beings were created in your image and that you've chosen that we might experience relationship with you, to know you and to enjoy you. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you live in us and you dwell in all who believe on the name of Jesus. Thank you that you have made it clear that even though sin has come in and ravaged our relationship with God, that Holy Spirit, you illuminate the person and work of Jesus Christ and Jesus, that you died for us, that you might bring us back into relationship, right relationship with the Father, the creator of all things. So God, would you now just invite us back into relationship with you? And today as we're with our families and with our friends and we're celebrating uh, and having a good time together, I ask that you'd help remind us that every good thing can be enjoyed for your glory as we look back to you and say that you were the creator, the author of all of these good things. Thank you for it, God. And we pray that we might live our lives in such a way that tells that story to our children and our children's children. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.